Amen. Thanks, Mike. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Well, thank you. Thank you. Before we get into John 14 this morning, just a, a quick note for dads about being a dad. Um, I think it's no small thing that God describes himself to us and uh, the relationship between the Godhead is described in a father-son relationship and a son-father relationship. And we understand this, not that God patterns, patterns himself after us, but he's created us as a pattern after him. And what we'll see today, even in John 14, is the intimacy of this relationship between son and father, which is supposed to be a pattern for us, dads, in the intimacy that we have with our children. And we hear that word intimacy, and I think it can be really intimidating for a lot of men uh, to begin to think about what does that even mean. And I'll just put it in simple terms for us here today, guys. And listen, I'm in the trenches with you. I don't have this down. But that you and I as fathers would walk in intimate relationships with our children requires, first of all, that we will walk in vulnerability. If you're not willing to walk in vulnerability with your children, you will not have an intimate relationship. What do we mean by vulnerability? I mean walking with your weaknesses exposed. Do your children know what makes you sad? Do your children know what, what brings fear to your heart? Do your children know what frustrates you? Do your children know where your passions are? What ignites you? So I want to start there this morning as we move into John 14 because the relationship between Jesus and the Father are going to be intrinsic to what we're going to understand today and just challenge you dads in your relationship with your kiddos today. More than likely, hopefully, you get to spend time with at least one or some of your kiddos today. And I want you to think about the content of the conversation you're going to have with your children today. Do your children know you? The way that the father knows the son and the son knows the father. And hopefully those words will both encourage you and bless you today. In John chapter 14, we are stepping into what I would consider to be uh, potentially one of the most divisive and controversial passages of Scripture in the Gospel of John, maybe even the whole New Testament, which is really sad because a passage of Scripture that was meant to be a blessing, a passage of Scripture that was, that was meant to encourage Jesus' disciples and bless the church and bless the kingdom has become a divisive passage of Scripture. And so what happens with this passage of Scripture and others like it Um, When we hear that Jesus' followers will do greater things than he has done, and when we we hear Jesus saying to his disciples, whatever you ask for in my name will be given to you, what tends to happen is this pendulum swing between extreme ideas. And this is where it gets divisive. So on one end of the pendulum swing is this idea that whatever the miracles of Jesus were, then what we will do as his followers is greater Greater in quantity, greater in quality, we will do bigger things. That gets taught out of this passage. And with that comes this idea that whatever I ask for, Jesus is going to give it to me. See, he made me a promise. And we get into this kind of name it, claim it theology that whatever I want, if I'll just believe as though I already have it, and I'll claim it that God has given me, and I have enough faith, it's going to happen, regardless of what it is that I want. 
And it's such a destructive theology, especially for new believers who are trying to, to grapple with this idea of faith and trust and what happens when God doesn't give me what I've named, what I've claimed. Does that mean God does not love me? And that's one end of the spectrum. That's where the pendulum swings to this destructive name it, claim it theology. But then here's the other end of that spectrum, the pendulum swinging to the opposite end, where there's no belief in the miraculous working of God in our lives today, that whatever miracles that Jesus performed, that was for biblical times and not for our lives. And so nobody on this end of the spectrum believes God for anything. And we go through the motions of church, we sing the songs, we say we have faith, but there's no expectation for any miraculous work of God. And we know that because it's not being asked for. It's not showing up in the prayers. And so it's such a, a tragic, sad thing that we would take this beautiful passage of Scripture that contains this robust promise from Jesus for his followers, and we would carry it to either extreme. And so today our aim, together, is to discern with the help of the Holy Spirit what it was that Jesus meant for his followers that you and I might walk in it. And so we're going to start in verse 11 together. We begin with these words. Jesus says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's what I was talking about at the beginning, that intimate relationship between Father and Son. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus is calling his disciples to believe. Quick refresher. We've defined belief over and over again in this series that belief is more than just wishful thinking. It's the idea that you believe something enough that you're willing to walk in it. It invokes trust and action. Okay, that's the kind of belief here. And Jesus is calling his disciples to believe in him. Believe me, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. And he said, or else, if that's not enough, then believe in the works themselves. And so let's talk for a minute about that. So we think about the works and the, and the miracles of Jesus, because we're about to start talking about what it means to do greater works. Um, we immediately need to think about the miracles, the signs, the things that indicate that he is more than merely human, that he is, in fact, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. John, the gospel writer, will lay out eight significant miracles from which he hopes that when we read about these miracles, we would believe. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm in the Father, He is in me. If that's not enough, at least look at the signs. At least look at the miracles. And then He says in verse 12, He states this promise. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. It's fairly simple, but He's saying one indication that you really believe in me is you look at all the works of my life, you'll see those works coming out of your life as well. But then he adds this statement, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So our goal in understanding is to figure out what did he mean by greater works. If he had just left it at, you'll do the same things I do, I think that would have been easier to understand. But he adds this word, greater works will he do and so we go to the original language and I look at this word and what does this word mean and the word could translate greater in the sense of quality 
higher quality, greater quality, or it could be translated quantity, greater quantity. I have $5, you give me 100 I have now a greater amount of money. But it could also mean, right now I'm, my transportation is a bicycle, and you give me the keys to a, a Cadillac Escalade, and now the quality has gone up in my transportation. It's greater in quality. It could mean either of those. So the word alone is not enough. We've got to look at the context, the words around it, to understand what it is Jesus is meaning here. What does it mean that Jesus' followers do greater works? Now, I made a list here of some of the miracles from uh, the Gospels, and I want to just run through a list so that you have in mind some of the works, miraculous things that Jesus has done. From Luke chapter 5, uh, this is where there's a miraculous catch of fish by Peter. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, John 6, casting out demons from a man, Mark chapter 1, uh, healing of Peter's mother-in-law, again in Mark 1, healing of a leper, Mark 1, healing of a paralyzed centurion servant, that was Matthew chapter 8. In Luke 7, Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. It was in Matthew 8 that Jesus cal calmed the storm and then cast out demons from two men. Very next chapter, Matthew 9, he heals a paralyzed man and then raises um, a ruler's daughter from the dead and then healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And then he heals two blind men and then casts out a demon from a man unable to speak. That's all in Matthew 9. John chapter 5, he healed a disabled man at the pool of uh, Bethesda. If you guys remember that story, that man didn't even ask for it. Jesus just healed him. Uh, he restored a withered hand in Matthew 12, walked on water, Matthew 14. Healed a woman's demon-possessed daughter, Matthew 15. Healed a deaf and mute man in Mark 7. Healed a blind man, Mark 8. Healed a demon-possessed boy in Matthew 17. Healed a man born blind, John chapter 9. He healed lepers in Luke 17, raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, healed two blind men in Matthew 20, caused a fig tree to wither, Matthew 21. And then this next one more than likely hasn't happened yet in the, gospel of, uh, in the timeline of the Gospel of John, but he restored the ear um, of one of the soldiers that Peter had cut off. All this, of course, is before the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and all the remaining miracles. Most of these have already happened. So when Jesus says to his followers, guys, believe in me, at least believe on account of all these miracles, like there's a lot going on here. And as a matter of fact, the gospel of John, John says this in the very end, this is like the last verse of his gospel, he says in 21:25, now there are also many other things Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Clearly, John's like, hey, I'm just capturing a few. If we were going to try to write all the amazing, miraculous works down, there's not enough books in the world to contain those stories. And in the previous chapter, John says, I'm writing these down, though, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing in his name, you would have eternal life. So the point of all the miracles is to identify Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, and to guide our hearts to believing that so that we would have eternal life. Like, that's the aim of the miracles. I want you to have that in mind. And numerically, 
There were so many that John's like, I couldn't even begin to write them all down because there were so many. So what we have here is a promise. You will do greater works than these. But then we have a contingency, and we also have a purpose that are going to help us understand it. What's the contingency? Believe in Jesus. If you believe in me, this is what will come out of your life, which would mean then if we don't believe in him, don't expect this to happen. There's a contingency there. But I think what's helpful is understanding the why behind it. Did you catch that? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do, and greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. Now, that's a significant theme in this place in the Gospel of John. He's, he's preparing his disciples for him to leave. So something about this idea of them doing greater works is in, in conjunction with his leaving. This is why you're going to do greater works than these, because I'm going to be gone. I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father. So then we step into verse 13. He adds to that promise, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so you combine those two promises together, and you can see how you could get to the extreme end of the spectrum where we begin to believe this idea that God's going to do these powerful things through our lives simply because we want it to happen. As if God has handed you as a Christian or as a believer a blank spiritual check, put his signature on it, and just said, you fill in the blanks, cash it anytime, anywhere you want to. You want, you want wealth? Just fill in the blank and believe it. You want a new job? Just fill in the blank, believe it. You want to be healed by, from cancer? Just fill it in, just believe it, and it's going to happen. Well, the struggle in that is if you've walked with the Lord for any number of years and you've prayed for things and you've asked for things, you know that sometimes when your heart aligns with the Father and you pray for things that He wants, He does it. Miraculous things happen. Got a text from one of our families, I didn't ask for permission, so I won't give the name. But this particular family had journaled the last 42 days of their journey. They've been through some really hard things in the last 42 days and just listed out 21 miracles. Things that God had done, where God had showed up in specific detail in just the last 42 days. That's, that's pretty amazing. Very amazing when you begin to read those details. But what happens when we pray for something that is not the will of God, that doesn't align with his desires, and he either says no or I've got something better? Does that mean that you just didn't name it hard enough, you didn't claim it hard enough, you just didn't believe hard enough? Or does that mean that there's more to what Jesus is saying here? What's interesting in the Gospel of John, he's going to repeat this promise a couple more times. But before we go to, to those other occurrences of this same promise, pray in my name and it'll happen, I go to Matthew chapter 6 because this is really where we get our model for how we should pray. So we call the Lord's Prayer. And I think too often we approach the Lord's Prayer, or Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, as though it's like, it's like preschool, Sunday school kind of prayer, maybe even JV prayer, but it's not the way varsity prayers pray. And we forget that Jesus 
before he lays out the Lord's Prayer, talking to his followers, says, guys, here's how I want you to pray. He even says, don't pray like the hypocrites who stand up, you know, in in public and pray with many words thinking that they're going to impress God. Don't pray like that. Here's how you pray. This is varsity prayer. And how does that prayer start? Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, does that mean we don't pray for practical everyday things? It doesn't mean that. Why? Because the rest of the Lord's prayer is like, give me what I need for today, daily bread. Protect me from temptation. Very practical things asking of God, but it begins where? Hallowed be thy name. And that gives us some insight then into what Jesus meant when he said, I want you to ask in my name. So the idea of praying in Jesus' name is not this just rubber stamp phrase. As long as we tack it onto the end of our prayers, it obligates God to do whatever we asked. That's how it gets used sometimes, right? Do this, do this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Oh yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. I rubber stamped it with the phrase, that means God's got to do it. But I think what Jesus is getting at is so much deeper than that when he says, ask for this in my name. The idea is that we would ask for things in a way and a content that brings glory to his name. Like that's the aim of the prayer. Hallowed, make much of your name. So God, if you heal the cancer, heal it in a way where you get the glory. Heal it in a way where your name is made great among the nations. If you, if you decide to, to, to bless me with this thing I'm asking for, Lord, do it in such a way where nobody gets the glory but you. Hallowed be your name. Sacred is your name. I'm praying this in your name and for the sake of the glory of your name. It's hard to do that while praying, hey, God, make me rich. You can pray, God, give me my daily bread. Give me what I need. Give me what satisfies. But do it in a way that brings glory to your name. So then we go to the other occurrences in the Gospel of John and even the letter John wrote at the end of your Bible, 1 John. And listen to what Jesus says as he reiterates the same promise. John 16, 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Same promise, right? What does he mean? Whatever you ask the Father that brings glory to my name, that makes much of my name, those are the kind of prayers that my Father wants to answer. He'll do those things. The Father always wants to make much of the name of Jesus. Always. First John chapter 5, this is 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything, does that sound familiar? According, oh, now we've got another contingency. According to his will. He hears us. 
So it's not just a blank check. Ask whatever you want. Desire whatever you want. God's obligated to give it. John's saying, no, 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 no. You need to be asking according to what? According to his will. He hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And, and John just reminded us in 1 John, pray according to the will of God, and guess what happens? God's will moves. God's will unfolds. I heard, uh, I actually read a chapter many years ago, uh, a book from, uh, that John Piper wrote to pastors, and he has a chapter about prayer. And he talks about how amazing it is that God would work through the, the utterances of a human being. Um, and he just talks about, like, it's, 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 and he talks about how amazing it is that God would even, like, unfold his will through our imperfect lives. He's like, it's doubly sweet, not that we just, not, it's sweet that we get God's will. That's always good, right? We get his will, not ours, but it's doubly sweet in that he invites us to ask for it. Does God need you to ask for him to move? No. But as a loving father, beckoning us, calling us into relationship, he says, ask for things. Ask for things that bring glory to my name. Ask for things that are in line with my will. And here's the joy. I want to do those things. I want you to see miracles happen in and through your life. But God the Father does not submit himself to the will of man. Ouch. He doesn't. And that's really important. As we expect miraculous work in our lives, we expect God to do big things. We have to anchor that expectation in the will of God. Parents, you have children. You have a will for your children. At some point, you begin to let their will take off, and you begin to re, right, resign your will and letting them have it in their own autonomous journey through life. What about when they're 16 months old? Right? No, your will be done for that child, right? Because your will is best. All they know is I'm uncomfortable. Give me something. But you're the one who's supposed to know what to give them. In a much bigger way, God is your heavenly Father. And it is to our good that His will be done. Back to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. This promise is going to come up again. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now we get another contingency. What is it? That we abide in Him and His word abides in us. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jump down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. So it begins with abiding in God, having your heart and your soul tethered to him. And having his word in you, you abide in me and my word abides in you, then some amazing things are going to happen. Miraculous things are going to come out of your life. John describes it as bearing fruit. You'll glorify God. You'll make much of God's name when you're bearing fruit. So go bear fruit. Go ask for things that are connected to bearing fruit. 
things that point to God in heaven and bring him glory. And so we come back to this idea of greater things. I want to look at one passage from the Old Testament as well. It's from the, uh, it's from the book of Psalms, chapter 37. You guys may be familiar with um, this promise that God will fulfill the desires of your heart. Thematically, it's kind of under the same umbrella of ask things of God and he'll do them for you. Listen to how the psalmist describes God fulfilling your desires. This is Psalm 37. I'll, I'll start in verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Sounds very familiar to what Jesus is saying. Believe in me. So he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Isn't that describing what Jesus is telling his disciples? You want God to act? You want God to show up and fulfill what you're asking for? The psalmist says, let me give you a list of things. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land in faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and commit your way to the Lord. And then guess what happens? Your desires begin to become his desires. You want what the Father wants. And listen, the Father loves to fulfill those desires. I think this is what Jesus is getting at. So we come back to this idea of greater things. What are these greater things? Greater in quantity? Because you would think, well, even though Jesus did a lot of miracles in about three years, since then, over the last 2,000 years, through the church, through Jesus' disciples, surely, quantitatively, there have been more. That would make sense practically, right? So guys, listen, we've done a lot over the last, you know, 18 months to three years, but after I'm gone... The quantity of things that are done is going to go up. Because if we simply go just to quality, it's kind of hard to think about outdoing Jesus, isn't it? Like, walking on water is walking on water. How can you walk on water any better than that? Right? Raising somebody from the dead is like raising some. It's hard to outraise somebody from the dead, right? When you look at the miracles of Jesus and the greatness of them in quality, it's hard to imagine doing anything greater in quality. And so I come back around to what Jesus said in verse 12 when he said, Because I am going to the Father. So this is what I think Jesus is getting at. I do think there is a sense of quantity. This is going to happen a whole lot more. And I think what Jesus wants the disciples to see is that the miracles you've seen through my ministry are going to continue after I'm gone. We're going to get to a higher number of miracles. Quantitatively, there's going to be more to be done. But I don't think that's all that he means. I think it's also important to understand that at this point, the miracles that the the disciples have seen have been through Jesus. And that is not a small thing that the Son of God would come to earth and put on flesh and work miraculously among us. But what's even greater than that is that Jesus is going to send back to the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to do these same miracles through imperfect disciples like us. That's greater. That's more amazing, isn't it? Isn't that humbling? It's one thing for Jesus to miraculously walk the earth and do things. But when God works through you in a powerful, transformative way a way that otherwise would not have happened. Isn't that greater? I think that's part of what Jesus means here. 
And ultimately, what's going to happen through these disciples is that through the miracles, God is going to launch the church. You go to the book of Acts and see the miracles that are unfolding in the book of Acts. It runs simultaneous with what? The launching of the church. God establishing his kingdom on the ground in the church. I mean, the fact that we're still sitting here today as Christ's followers, that's miraculous. It's an example of the greater works. And so I think we can all see where there's danger on either end of the spectrum. The name it, claim it, gospel, that if you don't have, if God doesn't do what you ask, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's so destructive. Because it leaves out God's will. It leaves out submitting your prayers to what the Father wants. But then the flip side is to live over here in complacency. and There's no expectation or asking for anything. You're not obeying what Jesus told you to do. He said ask. Ask for greater things. And so somewhere in the tension of the middle, as Christ's followers, we walk. And the more we commit our ways to the Lord, the more we delight ourselves in the Lord, the more we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the more our hearts align with the Father, and the more we ask for the things the Father wants to do, and the more miracles you are going to see. I think for so many of us, it's easy to believe that on the surface, but then say, well, there's no real areas in my life right now to see miracles, so I'm not asking or expecting any. I think this is where we begin to, to disconnect from the promise in a practical way. I'll say, I'll just throw out some make-believe numbers that are somewhat accurate. There's an 80% chance there is a marriage in your life that needs a miracle right now. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a high percentage. You are aware. Maybe it's your marriage. And by miracle, I don't just mean everybody gets along and people quit yelling. What I mean is heart change. Like there's, there's more than likely you're aware of a marriage that if somebody's heart doesn't change, it's going to burn to the ground soon. There's a really good chance if you work out in the world have a job, there's a really good chance you know somebody who is not a Christian. There's that person who said, no, thank you, but religion is not for me. Church is not for me. There's a really good chance you know somebody with that sentiment right now. And, and what, what they need is a heart change, something you can't provide. There's a really good chance you are aware of a relationship outside of marriage, even a friendship Maybe a relationship within the church, a relationship work, maybe in your neighborhood that needs a miraculous change. Because here's what I want you to, to hear me say, church. This is what I believe. Of all the miracles that Jesus performs, the greatest miracle is when he takes a dead heart and he makes it come to life. When he takes a hard, stubborn, rebellious heart and turns it. It's the greatest miracle I've witnessed in all of my life. It's the greatest miracle I've been the recipient of in my own life. Is Jesus changing my heart? Our students just got back from camp. You saw the video. That's the place that Jesus miraculously changed my heart when I was 15 years old. No real prior church experience to that. No Bible verses memorized. Anything I prayed for was about silly things. Like, I really want this girl to like me. 
Those kind of prayers, not your will be done kind of prayers, right? And, and Jesus radically changed my life that week. I did not go to camp looking for Jesus. I went looking for other things. And I met Jesus, and he radically changed my life. Miraculous. And so, church, let's expect God to continue to work through his disciples the way he worked through Jesus miraculously. And let's expect the greatest miracles of all. Heart change. And what do I mean by expect it? Let's pray for it. Let's beg God for it. You, you may be asking God for things. Maybe it is a new job. Maybe it's this thing. I need this. That's fine. But also pray for the greater things. Pray for the things that seem so impossible, you don't want to ask God for them. Pray for it. Pray for eyes to be open, hearts to come to life, people to be saved, marriages reconciled, addictions broken. And if you, there's, there's addictions all across this room right now. I'm not going to call them out. There are. And so many of us have tried to break those addictions in our own strength, and we get to a place where we just don't want to ask God anymore. We pray God do this, and then we go in our own strength, we try to do it, and so we're at a place we just don't believe it's ever going to happen. We don't believe anything's ever going to change. Ask for, expect greater things. The God who can answer that prayer is the God who raises people from the dead and walks on water and calms a storm and feeds the 5,000. Don't tell me he can't change your heart. And so we're going to end today with just a few questions to think about. And I really want you to think about your own heart. Dads, let's go back to where we started. Just think about your children's perspective of you as we think about these questions. Would the people who know you best be able to give examples that they've seen in your life where you have trusted God's promises? Is that tangible in your life? With the people who know you, I'm not saying like everybody in your workplace, but the people who know you best, your spouse, your children, your best friend. And with that same thought, would the people who know you best say that you are someone who believes God miraculously and it shows up in your prayers, the things you ask for? One final question is this. Do you see yourself as someone who God desires to work through? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you have no problem believing that God works miracles and he works miracles through all those super spiritual people at the church and the prayer team and the elders and the pastors, but do you see yourself as someone who God desires to work through in a miraculous way to accomplish his mission on earth and to glorify his name? Maybe that's the disconnect for you. It's not that you don't believe God can. You just don't believe that God wants to do it through you. And so I want to leave you with those questions today as we pray together.